My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that, has so, that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly. valiantly. Who errs. Who comes short again and again. again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, and who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement. And who, at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that his place shall never, never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Definitely one of my favourite quotes of all the quotes that have ever been quoted. Theodore Roosevelt, the man in the arena. I found this such an empowering... Ah, it's my gift to you tonight if I have nothing good to say. Um, it's such an empowering quote that raises us above that moment of fearing what the naysayers and the critics might say, but empowers us to step forward. It's not the critic that counts, it's the one who dares to have a crack. 
And so I love this quote. I found it so empowering. It says, it's not the critic who counts. The truth is, it's hard for me at the same time to say that while it's not the critic that counts, I can't look you in the face and honestly say the critic doesn't count. They still kind of count. In fact, I'm one of these people, and I know some of you are as well, I kind of like to sometimes go to a place of criticism, a place where I can kind of put myself out there and people are free to critique me or not critique me or tell me what they think. Uh, in fact, I want to take you to my special criticism place tonight. If I can. Look, it's right here. Now, we are live. We are live on my Facebook page. And so, because I love this world so much and I think criticism is not always a totally scary thing, I'm going to do something which may later on come back to bite me. We're live and I'm live here. I'm actually going to post on my Facebook page right now because I love that quote. It's not the critic who counts. So I'm just going to post a little meme I made about that. Let's see. Let's go in there. I'll say, love this. Uh, Post. Boom. It's, It's loading up. It's loading up. There it is. And so now, oh, someone's commented already. Um, so if we refresh that, yeah, this could get, this could get wild. <laughs> I got hacked. <laughs> See, I told you, this could get so wild. And people can critique me. They can say all kinds of stuff. They can, hi Shane, get off Facebook in work time. Thanks Langdon. All kinds of things like that can happen. If you, like me, like to venture into this world where criticism reigns. So I can't look you in the face. I can say, hey, have a go. It's not the critic that counts. But at the same time, I can't say to you that critics don't count. Because we both both know that criticism can be powerful. It can be powerful in building up. And I can't wait to see what those little notifications are going to say about my little meme and stuff like that. I can't wait to talk to some of the people I entrusted with my Facebook um, tonight. But that's a whole other story. Um, criticism can be powerful for building up. It can be powerful for tearing down. It can be interesting to receive it. It can sometimes be empowering to give it. It can sometimes be scary to give it. Tonight as we continue in our world of road signs, in our series of road signs, we want to ask the question of the scriptures, how do we live in a world of criticism? How do we live in a world where everybody has an opinion, everybody has a capacity to critique, and you will find yourself sometimes being the one critique? There is some wisdom you might have heard about criticism. Sometimes it goes like this, just don't listen to them. Maybe your sweet mama told you that. Sweet mama was wrong. Sorry, she's right about most stuff. We're not going to say, just don't listen. Or maybe mama said, if you haven't got anything nice to say, just don't say anything at all. Mama's wrong. We're not going to go there either. In fact, we're going to take our principle from someone like Billy Graham, a great evangelist who once said, turn critics into coaches. See what you can grab from criticism to coach you to the next thing. And so tonight, as we look at James chapter 1 together, I want to offer you three road signs, three choices, and I underline choices, that I hope can help us not to flee from, but manage a world that inevitably has, and thankfully has, criticism. 
our road signs tonight are prompted by James chapter 1 verse 19 to 20. So if you've got a Bible, you might look at that. Or I brought it here for you. Sorry, we've got to go away from my Facebook from now and it's going to be wild to look at that later on. James says, God says through James, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's beautiful in itself. The first thing I want to point out for you there is that we're told to be quick to listen. I wonder why we're told to be quick to listen. Do you perhaps that's a corrective statement because often, maybe sometimes we are slow to listen. If we're slow to listen at the best of times, I reckon we can be particularly slow to listen when criticism might be coming our way. You know, when there's criticism coming your way, when there's criticism coming my way, I'm tempted to cover my ears. If I cover my ears and I don't listen, la 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 la, I can't hear you, then that kind of cover might prevent me from having to deal with something I don't like. Because I want to stay safe. I don't want to be in that dangerous world where your criticism, I might feel it kind of cut me down. Because often when we think about being criticised, it kind of looks like this. The equation is how I do plus your opinion of it equals who I am. Did you get that? Sometimes we can approach criticism like this. How I do, how I perform plus your opinion of it, or even my opinion of it, equals who I am and my worth. And whether you approve of me, and whether I approve of me. So tonight, the first road sign I want to offer you in living in a world of criticism is rather than cover your ears, choose a better cover. And the better cover is this, gracious approval. Gracious approval is a far better cover than going la 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 la. Gracious approval is about knowing what God has said of you. Gracious approval is understanding that God has approved you already if you are in Christ. And it's not the equation of how I do plus his opinion equals who I am and my worth. No, 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 no. This is different. The equation looks more like this. God's heart that desires to love plus the work of Jesus shedding his blood on the cross plus his glorious resurrection freely given to you equals child of God equals you are, as you're referred to in this passage, a brother or sister when you're with the people of God. Equals you get to call God your father. Equals earlier in James chapter 1 where James says that those who are in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position and those who are rich should take pride in their humiliation. What he's saying is, is whether you're up or whether you're down, take pride. Because that doesn't actually matter. Take pride that you're a brother, a sister, and God is your father. Take pride that the equation that has anything to do with your performance has been obliterated 
and instead you choose the road sign of gracious approval, where God approves you because he loves you and Christ has done the work. Gracious approval is the road sign that changes anything. Let me tell you this. People will always have opinions. There will always be criticism. It's not a bad thing. It's a helpful thing. And I want to say, you can have a squillion coaches. You can make any criticizer your coach. But here is the best thing I'm going to say to you tonight. So if you've got to leave early, give me two more minutes. You can have a billion coaches, but I implore you to do life before an audience of one. Do life before an audience of one, and your audience is God. Because you know what? I don't know if you've figured this out, but people can be harsh sometimes. People can critique you unfairly. People can sometimes not understand. Your God is the gracious approver, and he will always treat you graciously, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've figured this out, though. Did you know sometimes you can fool people? Did you know that? Sometimes people can think you're wonderful, but you know behind the scenes that you suck them in and they don't know. They only know what they know, but they don't know what you know. Here's the wonderful thing about God. He knows everything. He will keep you honest. He will keep you approved. But he will show you with his gentle, fatherly voice, come on, you've strayed off the path, come back. Friends, the best thing I can tell you tonight, the best thing I can give you to equip you for a life in a world that has criticism is please do your life for an audience of one. And you know, one of the coolest things when you get to be a part of a ministry team is uh, regularly we hear the congregation pray for us. And that's amazing. Can I ask you the best thing that you can pray for the leaders of your church? Pray that each one of us will always do life and ministry for an audience of one. Yeah, it's funny, as you preach here, we don't do it so much tonight, but as I preach in the morning, I then go stand at the door and shake hands with a hundred people and they say things to me about how I did up here. And they're always so nice, but it's still a thing. It's still a feedback. It's still a criticism. And it's an interesting world. What if I adjusted my message or adjusted my manner to make sure they said the right things to me at the door, the things that make me feel good? Always an audience of one. And remember our brother, Ian, who leads our church. Has anyone got an opinion about how church should go? Yeah, me too. Where are you, brother? Audience of one. We pray that for you always. The most significant road sign I can offer you tonight is the one of gracious approval. You are not. Your worth is not an equation of what you can do and how impressed we are. You are, your worth is, all wrapped up in the gracious approval of God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you, who approves you so strongly that he powerfully resurrected him from the grave. That's road sign number one. Let's look at road sign number two. Uh, I'll come to it in just a minute. The second thing we hear in this passage is to be slow to speech. I wonder why we're told to be slow to speech. Could it be just maybe we fire off at the mouth quickly sometimes? That is an issue I have. 
from time to time. Sometimes we're so quick to speak, to speak, so quick to give our opinion, so quick to answer back, so quick with a comeback, which I remember in high school, it was always great to be fast with a comeback. But now my heart aches because I trained that too quickly and too well in myself in my high school days and now sometimes that comeback comes and I'm sad as the words leave my mouth and they hit someone else's ears and I think I really wish I didn't have that skill. I regret it. We're told in James to be slow to speech. I suspect sometimes we want to be quick to speak because we want to be in control. I don't know about you. Have you ever cut someone off in an argument? Is that just me or is someone else, anyone else cut someone off in an argument? Yeah? Oh, thank Bro, thank you. Uh, head's nodded. That, that's great. There's treasure in heaven for everyone who just owned up to that. Why do you reckon we cut people off in an argument? Probably because I think what I say is more important than what they're going to say. Sometimes I listen not to understand, but I listen so I can get the bit where I get to respond. That like, seems more noble to me than just cutting them off in the conversation. But I cut them off. I want to respond because what? I want to control the situation. I don't like it going the way it's going, particularly if they're critiquing me. I don't know that you don't understand. And I'm quick to speak and I come back and I cut them off and I just wait for my opportunity to respond. Road sign number two is this. Imagine. Use your imagination. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Before you speak, before you offer criticism, before you respond to criticism, take a moment to imagine. Imagine what, you might say. Well, something amazing can happen when you take a moment to imagine. One, it helps this slow-to-speak thing go a lot better because you're busy imagining rather than speaking, so that will slow you down. But you know what imagination gives birth to? Imagine can give birth to a thing called empathy. And whilst criticism sometimes can drive us apart because I get scared of your words or you get scared of mine and all this sort of stuff and I forget gracious approval and I wonder how you're thinking of me, empathy brings us together. Empathy is a powerful connecting tool in relationships. Now let me explain it, because it's not the same as sympathy. Sometimes you feel a certain way, particularly if it's in the scope of criticism. You feel a certain way about me or what I've done, or I feel a certain way about you, and there's feeling attached to that. Sympathy is when we're in the same feeling. You know... uh, I don't know, someone runs up on the platform and puts an axe through the piano. Some of us might be in the same feeling of surprise. I'm going to probably be in the angry camp. Probably, Greg, you're going to have sympathy for that because Greg's going to feel the same. Empathy is different. So sympathy is with feeling. Empathy is in feeling. It's harder. It's harder. So, empathy is when you feel something. I don't feel it. I feel different. But what do I do? I take a moment to imagine. And I think, ooh, I wonder what it's like over there. I wonder how it feels to respond to 
someone tore up the prayer books and I didn't care that much. But you know, that, would, that would feel enormous for someone. I'd think, oh, it's on the PowerPoint, it's fine, good words, we still got them. But I suspect there would be someone in our church who would love the, the precious books. I could be a jerk and just go, get over your books. Or I could use imagination and go, what must it be like to see a resource that helped disciple me, that helped teach me, that taught me all about Jesus? And I do some imagining and I try to feel what they would feel or at least to understand and comprehend what they feel. Do you think when someone is empathetic to you, you feel like, you jerk, don't try to understand my feelings, or you think, isn't that nice? They're trying to get in my world. They want to understand how things are for me. Empathy is when we imagine and we say, hey, what's it like over there? Now, I've spent a while explaining empathy. Imagine how slow to speech you're going to be when you do empathy. Sometimes someone does something weird and you go, I just don't understand why you do that. Has anyone ever heard a phrase like that? Often we use, I just don't understand why you do that, as a way of condemning. I'll give you a project, a life project. The next time your impulse is to say, I just don't understand why you do that, you just got a project. Rather than a condemnation piece, you just got an invitation to find out. I just don't understand. Guess what? Now you can set yourself the task of wandering and imagining and maybe asking some gentle questions to find out. Or if you're about to say, that is the dumbest thing ever, that's strong criticism, you might say, I would never have thought to do it like that. Now you might be feeling stronger emotions, but as you offer your criticism or as you respond to criticism, how much slower and gentler will things go if you practice imagination, which leads to empathy, and try to understand and try to connect rather than be driven apart in a world of criticism. Imagination means that we're going to be slow to speak, means that we're actually going to be more helpful in speaking, And if the whole reason at the start of cutting people off and only listening so you get your chance to talk was about increasing safety, how much safer do you think the conversation will be when you can be a helpful influencer? When you can speak in a helpful way rather than a hurtful way? And when you can speak in such a way that connects the relationship rather than drives it apart? Imagination makes living in a world of criticism far more bearable because it's far kinder. James goes on. He says we are to be slow to become angry. Why do you reckon he tells us that? I think you've got the pattern. Because maybe sometimes we are quick to be angry. And in our quick to be angry reflex, we actually reveal something of ourselves. You know, anger is a surface emotion for something going on down deeper, and that something going on down deeper is usually fear. Now, in the wake of criticism, I'm fearful, because sometimes I forget about the first road sign, gracious approval. I'm fearful of what you think of me. I'm fearful of what you say and how it might affect the way I think of me. Or if I'm giving criticism, I'm fearful for how you respond. If I have a difficult truth to share with you, you might not like me now because I told you, yeah, I'm not on board. And I feel fearful. 
so I get angry. You know what anger does? Anger intimidates. Anger, again, is my defense mechanism. Anger is like in the animal kingdom, I kind of show you my horns. I'm like, you want to critique me? You'll get the horns. When I critique you, don't push back, you'll get the horns. And I scare you with my anger and I intimidate you so you cower before me and you wouldn't dare say that was a rubbish sermon. Hopefully, you'll be more gentle. Remember, imagination. Remember gracious approval. Or, I show my anger so that you won't push back on my opinion, which is now gospel critique that you must receive. Friends, I suspect there's another thing that's arisen today, and it's important for us to reflect on this for a moment. Whilst anger might be showing the horns to kind of influence the situation of criticism, I think today something very common is not so much showing the horns, but showing the alleged wounds. And that is this language of being offended. So often, we will use offence. Remember when you play tip at um, school and you're like, you're on bar or you're tech? Being offended is like, no, I'm on bar. Uh, There's something I want to bring to your attention about you. I'm offended by that. I'm on bar. Can't touch me now. Look how wounded I am by your words. You're wounding me. You're You're making me offended. If anger scares you off with the horns... Sometimes we run to this thing called offence. It's a way of showing the wounds, playing the victim card, so that no one can touch me because I'm offended. Here's something we need to realise. Don't ask others to manage your emotions. That might sound stern, but it's important that we hear it. We speak too much of being offended. We run from too many important truths because we say we're offended. Do not ask someone else to manage your emotions. Only you can choose your emotions. And you choose your emotions. Only you can be responsible for your emotions. You can, of course, ask others to manage their behaviour, but you cannot ask them to manage your emotions. If you choose... To become offended, you and you alone can take responsibility for that. Anger and offence are defence mechanisms. And so road sign three, my final road sign tonight is this. Choose a braver defence than anger or offence. Choose a braver defence and that braver defence is humility. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We choose, in the face of criticism, and, in the fa- and when we're giving criticism, to be humble about it. Let's go to the next slide. James 1.21 says this, Therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, of course, the context of this is speaking of the word of God that is placed in you. But let us not be people, when we receive criticism from someone, who say, oh, where's that in the Bible? You sound like a first-year college student, Bible college student. Someone might offer us criticism. Here's what I reckon is a better road sign, a better way ahead. Use the braver defence of humility but humility with a filter. 
Humility acknowledges that there is a journey to go in me. I'm not perfect yet. The filter says, whilst you might have an opinion, it's not necessarily right. Would my audience of one applaud this, or would he say, nah, that's rubbish? That's the filter. Humility says, you know what? I know I have blind spots. I know that I don't see everything about myself. In fact, isn't that the definition of a blind spot? It's a thing you don't see. In fact, one of the hardest things about blind spots is that whilst I don't see my blind spots, and you guys see them as I preach every week, you know, Shane always does this, but he doesn't realise, I have my blind spots, but everybody else sees them. How will I ever know? How will I ever grow beyond my blind spots that I cannot see unless someone is brave enough to lovingly critique me and I am humble enough to receive the criticism with my filter intact? If I won't humbly ask the question, what can I learn from this feedback, from this critique? Brothers and sisters, I use the language that James uses because some of this is tough to hear. We want a safe space in criticism like, just don't listen to it. Or if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say anything. Criticism can help. And so, brothers and sisters, in a world of criticism, we can disconnect and just not listen or we can follow these road signs for life, for life to make a change. We can choose the braver defence of humility. The braver defence that says, I'm I'm a work that still needs doing. Come and give me your feedback. Help me with that. We can choose to stop and imagine. We can choose to stop and say, wow, I'm actually saved by a God of imagination, a God of great empathy, a God who looked down on my state and went, what must it be like to be under the wages of sin, which is death, to have to come before me a holy God and face condemnation. Oh, I understand the feeling. I understand the case of my poor creature. I'll become one of them and rescue them. That's the God we serve, the God of imagination, the God of empathy, the God who came. We can choose the greatest cover of all, rather than la, 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 la. We can choose the gracious cover of God's approval. So when our critics sum up our performance and declare we are short, we hear the voice of the Father. I'm not my performance. I'm not my image. I am chosen. I'm not forsaken. I am who you say I am, Lord. I'm your child. Let me ask you this question as I finish. Is our great challenge living in a world of criticism is that our great challenge that there's criticism in the world or could it be that our our challenge is that we are fragile because we simply need to be reminded of the gracious the final and the ultimate declaration of God about us as we live for an audience of one